Welcome to the School of Faith podcast. I'm Chris Nye. We're in a Bible deep dive right now through the book of Daniel. And closing up here with Daniel chapter 6, as I mentioned before, we're not getting into the visions portion in the second half, um, mainly because the purpose of this podcast is to supplement group life at Awakening Church. And in our groups, we're going through Daniel 1 through 6, the narrative section of Daniel. Perhaps another time, you know, we'll look at the rest of the book. But we're in chapter 6 here, so please uh, open your Bibles and join me in Daniel 6, verse 1. Daniel 6 is, you know, probably the most famous thing about the book of Daniel and one of the more famous stories in the entire Bible. Daniel in the lion's den is famous, and I would argue is famous for a reason. It's a great story. I think that sometimes we're critical of stories that are used over and over again. Obviously, this you know story has probably been preached um, poorly more than it's been preached well, but I think for our life together and looking at this book, this is a great, great story, and ends Daniel's narrative portion because 7 through 12 is going to start actually almost as an overlap in 1 through 6. So it's not that verse or chapter 7 picks up where 6 left off. Again, the narrative breaks at 7. And if you look over at Daniel 7, you know, verse 1, it says, In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. Well, that takes us to before chapter 5. So the, the and again, and again, the narrative structure breaks right here. And so Daniel 6 is really to towards the end of his life. We get kind of the story of an older, wiser Daniel, not the chapter one, the young, spry Daniel. Um, this is probably him in his later life. He's served for multiple kings, um, but we see some of the similarities here in chapter six. It opens with Daniel being successful in his role, again, chapter three, which goes back to Jeremiah 29 of seeking the peace and the prosperity of the city. Daniel is continuing to seek the peace and the prosperity of the city, continuing to serve the king, continuing um, to obey the laws of the land. And even it seems to promote and create some of the laws of the land, right? He's involved in some kind of politics in whatever way that that was structured uh, in the ancient times, right? Which is different than how it's structured now. But yeah, and Daniel was kind of involved in these pursuits, was successful, it says in verse 3. And in verse 4 of chapter 6, it says, um, that kind of the other leaders sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could not find ground for a complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. So actually what they do is they devise this plan to be constructed to bring him down in in, in verse 5. It's interesting here to note Daniel's integrity and to note these accusations that are going to come his way are falsified. Such is the life of, uh, you know, a Christian in Babylon, of a, of a follower of Jesus in, in Babylon. Such is the life of a Christian in America. There will be false accusations given to us, about us, around us. And if you notice Daniel's reaction here, he is not going into a PR campaign to manage how people view him. He instead follows through and goes to pray. Um, you know, but there's um, there's this document that's thrown around, right, knowing um, that Daniel prays, and they basically say there's this petition um, 
that if anyone, you know, were to worship or pray to someone other than the king, um, you know, they'll be charged. And so this agreement they give to this King Darius, who's a new king figure, because if you remember back in chapter 5, Belshazzar, uh, quick appearance, quick death, and then we move to Daniel 6, and we have this new guy, Darius, who's leading. And um, they ask the king in verse 8, establish the injunction and sign the document. So they kind of encourage that all people of the kingdom... Uh, should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes a petition to any god except the king will be thrown into the den of lions. And then they say in verse 8, establish this injunction. So they kind of pressure the king, say, hey, anyone who, who prays, who puts a petition to another god other than you, king, should be thrown to the lion's den. And Darius signs the document in verse 9. And now verse 10 is crucial. I want you to read along with me in verse 10. It says this, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in the upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave God thanks and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. There's this um, great quote from a scholar named Tremper Longman. I think I put this in the notes available on the group's resources page of Awakening Church. But it says this, uh, this is Tremper Longman, he's an Old Testament scholar, in his commentary on Daniel, he, he writes this. This is about verse 10 that I just read. When Daniel heard about the law forbidding his prayer, he did not rally the troops for a strike or armed resistance. He prepared himself for death. I'm going to read that again. When Daniel heard about the law forbidding his prayer, he did not rally the troops for a strike or an armed resistance. He prepared himself for death. Yeah, this this has a lot of implications, does it not? I want you to take special note of the way Daniel reacts here. Daniel reacts in this way that is not um, rebellious, in the traditional sense, but is subversive. What is subversive? Subversive is the way uh, to act in contradiction to and under the radar of governing authorities. I find his action here heroic. He doesn't rally the troops. He doesn't gather together uh, people. He doesn't create a PR campaign. He doesn't uh, protest He simply goes to pray, and in his prayer, prepares himself for the lion's den. It it seems that in verse 10, after he sees that the document is signed, he knows he's going to the lion's den. But I love what it also says in verse 10. It says, as he had done previously. It says that he goes up to pray as he had done previously. And so there's this ordinary, quiet, faithful obedience that is key to this. And Daniel simply continues to do that which he has already been doing. Okay, so it's actually kind of tempting that when we face persecution or misunderstanding that we almost overcompensate to become a kind of person we're not. But Daniel does not overcompensate to become a person he is not. He simply continues being the person he already was, which was a person of prayer. 
So for Daniel to go into the um, lion's den is actually shouldn't be a surprise by the time he gets there um, in verse 14 and 15. Um, or sorry, verse 16 is when he's cast into the lion's den. Yeah, and so for us as Christians and as good Bible interpreters, we need to remember that the actions of Daniel do not co- uh, come, quote, out of nowhere. They come from a habit, they come from a discipline, they come from a place. And that's really the life Jesus calls us to. I want to give you some New Testament implications of this. You know, the first is that persecution is certain. This is uh, commented on in the New Testament. John 16, 33, Jesus says, In this life you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. 2 Timothy three twelve says, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's not saying they might be persecuted. It's saying they, they will be persecuted. In Acts 5, we get the reminder it's our job to follow God and not follow man. Um, right? There's a different way that we battle. You remember in the Sermon on the Mount when we studied last year, Matthew 6, it says that when we are to pray, we're to go into our room quietly, shut the door, and uh, seek our Father who is to be found in secret, and we will be rewarded in secret. That's in Matthew 6. Daniel is simply doing that which most, if not all, godly people do, which is to be hidden with Jesus, to be a person of prayer, of private response to prayer. Um, yeah, this, this has a lot of implications. And we see, right, that um, Darius is conflicted and when he puts Daniel in the lion's den, he actually prays that God, he says, may that your God, whom you serve continually, again, another nod to Daniel's over the long haul faithfulness. This is in verse 16. May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And uh, anyways, right, Daniel goes, you know this story, you've been reading it. He goes into the lion's den. And the king, um, it actually says the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions uh, were brought to him and slept, fr- uh, fled from sleep, fled from him. King doesn't sleep. He goes into the morning. Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, he's yelling into the lions. Then has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And then Daniel replies, right that right. Oh, oh King, live forever. May my God sent an angel and shut the mouths of lions. It's really cool. Again, it's a great story. I don't want to take away from it. I don't want to take away from it at all. I want to inflate it even more, right? That God shows in tremendous faithfulness to Daniel as Daniel shows faithfulness to God. And he's saved out of the mouths of the lion's den. And Darius writes this edict, this uh, proclamation, a decree to all people to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel for he is the living God enduring forever verse 27, this is from the mouth of King Darius. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Now, this is what I want to close with, and we don't need to take much more time here. This is one of the shorter episodes because I think this is one of the more straightforward, beautiful stories. doesn't need a lot of um, background, but noted a little bit in your group's resources page, but I want to highlight it here is that after this edict is given, after the proclamation talking about how good God is, 
Um, it says, he delivers and rescues, he works signs and wonders. And then in 28, it says, so this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. And that's really, like I said, the end of what we know about Daniel's life, the narrative of his life. The rest of the book is going to be visions that are captured between the years of Belshazzar, a little bit through Nebuchadnezzar. Um, and, and right there, they're kind of laid over chapters basically four through six, okay? But we know that Daniel probably died during the reign of someone named Cyrus the Persian. Okay, I want you to think back to chapter two. I know it's been a long deep dive in the book of Daniel. But in chapter two, there's a vision of a statue that's given. It's given four sections. The four sections are different empires. It starts with Babylon, then to the Median Persian. Now, what we see earlier as to who Darius is, uh, or sorry, yeah, who, who Darius and who, who, who uh, isn't, sorry, this is verse 31 in chapter 5. So the beginning, end, end of chapter 5, beginning of 6, that Darius is a Medi king. So we've moved from the Babylonians to the Medeans, and then by the end of Daniel's life, we get the Persian Empire. So we're working our way down the statue. Remember, the rock comes and breaks the statue, showing God's kingdom over all nations and empires and things like that, right? But this is very important that we see uh, a change in kingdoms and that Cyrus shows up because that will show you that this here the end of Daniel's life is the beginning of the freedom of the people of Israel. Say that again. The end of Daniel's life is actually the beginning of the freedom of the people of Israel, right? So if you want to look at verse 28 of chapter 6, at the very end, there's actually, if you have a reference Bible, there's going to be references to two chapters in particular, Second Chronicles 36 and Ezra chapter 1. 2 Chronicles 36 and Ezra chapter 1, those are two links in your biblical narrative. 2 Chronicles 36, the end of 2 Chronicles, and the beginning of Ezra, they overlap because one's taking after the other. Ezra's taking after the narrative there. So there's a hyperlink set here at the end of Daniel to point you towards a time in history to tell you that Daniel's obedience in this moment and the edict that went across from Darius then was inherited by Cyrus when he took the reins of the Persian Empire. And in the end was the thing that let the people of Israel go back to Jerusalem. Because if you go to the book of Ezra, which I would encourage you to do now, you could go to Ezra or you could go to Chronicles, um, whichever one you can find first, because they're pretty much the same. But I'll go to Ezra because I think the Chronicles reference um, might be in your group's resources somewhere. It, it actually, the book of Ezra opens up with the first year of Cyrus, the king of Persia. Okay, so Daniel chapter 6 ends with uh, Daniel lived uh, and prospered until uh, the reign of Cyrus, right? Or, or it says um, during the reigns of Darius and the reigns of Cyrus. So he died at some point in the reign of Cyrus. So in the first year of Cyrus, the king, so Daniel's probably still alive. It says the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, the king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout the kingdom and also put it in writing and it says that whoever is among you all his people may his god be with him and let him go up to jerusalem which is in judea 
and rebuild the house of the Lord. The exile that we started this book in, uh, chapter one of Daniel, is foreshadowed and forecasted to be ending after chapter six. Now this is more important than just telling the story of the start of the exiles and the end of the exile. Because what it's doing is it's showing the life of a faithful exile. But here's the thing, and don't miss this. It's showing that through the faithful living of exiles, God's promises are fulfilled. Let me say that one more time. It is through the faithful living of the exiles that God's promises are fulfilled. We often think about the consequences for our disobedience. Do you know what I mean? If we don't, if we don't obey God, we think about the consequences. This will happen with that one. And, and certainly there are consequences for disobedience. But I think those are so much more readily seen than the consequences for our obedience. Have you thought about what the consequences would be if you obeyed God? Consequences are a negative word in our mind, but actually it, it's, it's a neutered, n- neutral word. There are good consequences and bad consequences. And Daniel is about forecasting a life for us to say, do you know what the consequences of your obedience might be? It might mean you're in the lion's den. It might mean you're in the fiery furnace. It might mean your life is threatened. But it also might mean you are planting the seeds for the freedom of people ahead. I I think nobody else knows this as good as those who have been through serious oppression. The black community in America and the black church, you see this in the life of Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King Jr. lives a life of suffering, is gunned down and assassinated before he turns 40. And yet it seems as though the consequences of the obedience of Martin Luther King has led to not a perfect, but a large step forward in equity and equality here in the country we live in. He was li- he's an exile, living obedient life, the consequences of the, that obedience leading to a freedom, a furthering of the freedom of many people in this country. Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, same story. He died before he was 40. The consequences of his obedience led to uh, the freedom of many people in the end of the war too much to get into in the history there, but I want to show you that to tell you what would it mean if we lived an obedient life? We know if we live a disobedient life, there are consequences, but what if we lived an obedient life? Yes, there are consequences there as well. And so this is taking us all the way back uh, to the first episode about Daniel 1, which is I told you, Daniel and all the prophets are less about pointing to the future and more about pointing back to Deuteronomy 28 and 29, which forecast the curses and the blessings that come from disobedience and obedience, respectively. It's very clear. God sets out his law and he goes, if you obey me, here are the ways I will bless you. Here are the consequences. If you disobey me, Here are the curses. Here are the consequences of your disobedience. One of those would be if you disobey me, you're sent to exile. But God tells them that if you call on my name in exile, you can go back, look at Deuteronomy 28. If you call on my name in exile, I will return to you. I will come to you. And this is the beautiful promise that is found uh, in, in, in Daniel, is that in Daniel's life, 
through his obedient life, it seems as though that was one of the small pieces that led to the fulfillment of the word of God through Jeremiah and through Deuteronomy and Moses that would bring the people back to their land, restore the temple, and bring the Jewish people to a place of readiness for the coming of the Messiah. So, as we close Daniel, I do want you to think about that. What are the consequences for a group of people who live obediently and faithfully to God in the midst of exile? We're not Daniel and we're not Jewish and in Babylon, but my goodness, as Americans, um, in the 21st century living in the Silicon Valley, we are exiles. We've been talking about on Sundays through the book of 1 Peter. So we must live as a unique people understanding that the consequences of our obedience might be incredible. And so let's press further in to um, live into the reality of being the people of God in a foreign land, hopefully answering the question I also started with in Psalm 137. This, This question is simple. How do we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? I think it's by our faithful obedience to him. And that's uh, Daniel 6. Thanks for journeying with us through the book of Daniel. Like I said, would love to do all 12 chapters is what we have time for now. Um, I, I pray and, and hope that as a church, this blessed you and helped you in your leadership of groups or in your participation in the life of the church. Love you guys.